Good morning. Well, hopefully this is the most well-rested group since we all lost an hour of sleep. Hopefully you guys feel refreshed. We're glad that you are here. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. And man, what a what a year it has been. Um, as we think back to last year, it was this Sunday last year, the pastor Christian stood on this stage and he, he preached in for the first time of what would be 13 weeks of online-only church. And there were only a few of us in the room not knowing what was going to be on the other side of those 13 weeks or even on the other side of a year. Uh, man, I can, I can think back to just the, the challenging times. It's been a challenging year, but, but I thank you that, um, one, you've, you've stuck with us. Um, we see people coming back. I think it's really exciting. Our, our church is coming back slowly um, but surely. And uh, we, man, we've got some great plans to uh, give us more opportunity because if you look around in here, there are, there are less chairs in the room than there was ever before covid so we need more space, so we're opening up another uh, service at our, at our next cam- our second campus at SCA in a couple of weeks. And as you can see, a building is coming. There is, uh, there is, um, yeah, there is relief on the way as far as building space. So um, I'm glad that you are here. Thank you for being here and being a church that's on mission. You know, one of the other services, I think as Mike mentioned, so I serve as the executive pastor, which uh, then he mentioned that I oversee the finances. And then when everyone in the room began to think, oh, here comes the finance guy, and he's talking about generosity. There was a deep breath in the room that was kind of the gasp. The air went out. So i actually not really talking about money. I'm not asking for money today, um, but we're talking about generosity through the lens of our, of our impact as a church. So um, glad that you are with us today. You know, this really is um, a bit of an extension of our Chasing Perfection series. I mean, it really uh, is a slight deviation, but really what we're looking at is is... The series is about Jesus, right? So it's all about Jesus. Everybody say? Jesus. Yeah, today we're going to see how Jesus really calls all of us to pray, play a role in helping uh, meet the needs of people around us and help uh, share uh, the vision of what he has called us to do. And so, um, you know, we're continuing to, to learn how much we depend on Jesus. That's not going to change in this, in this message. And we want to live like Jesus. We want to live how Jesus um, demonstrated what I believe is is a uh, is missions work or ministry work um, today. So today's goals. Uh, the first one is for us to look at um, the first goal to understand the biblical motive and the ministry of generosity. Uh, and again, uh, thinking back when when you hear the word generosity, most of the time you you go immediately to money, and it is that we certainly see uh, we have a very generous church financially. In fact, if I go back to um, go back to the beginning of those 13 weeks of online-only church, I had a lot of questions about what the financial state of our church would be, um, especially as we were heading into a building campaign. Um, I mean, I wondered if we were going to have to, and we had lots of dialogue and conversation about whether we would be able to start our project on time, whether we'd be able to continue building what we think God has called us to build. And it's because of the generosity of our church um, allowed us to continue to move forward, even when... Uh, maybe others would have said, hey, you got you to pause a little bit. Um, the generosity of our church was so strong. So thank you as a church for what you do, uh, the, way you've, uh, the way you're behind the mission and vision of our church. However, we understand that generosity is, is more than just money. It's um, the biblical motive and ministry of generosity we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about motive. We're going to talk about ministry when it comes to generosity. And the last one was is to help every person see themselves as a missionary. Now, I'm very passionate about getting uh, overseas. I like to go three or four times a year uh, on mission trips, and there's lots of reasons for that. One, um, personally, 
uh, mission trips played a vital role for me spiritually. Um, really being called to ministry happened on the mission field. I was in, uh, in Mexico uh, helping at an orphanage with, with my family. And it was on that trip that I really, for the first time, realized I really want to do what I think God's called me to do ministry full-time. I have no idea what that looks like, uh, but it was an important part of my spiritual journey. And I just love getting, um, getting to see how God works in other parts of the world. Um, it kind of takes you out of the, um, you know, you, you kind of have to get past the things you don't have in common because there are a lot of things you don't have in common to find the things you do have in common. And that's Jesus. That's the need for Jesus. And so I love to, to go overseas. I hope that many of you will travel overseas with us. I hope that you'll, at some point in your journey, get a passport, go on one of our trips with us. Um, but if you don't, I want you to know you, um, and even all of us that do go, you can be a missionary and really should be a missionary right where you are uh, to live on mission, uh, sharing the news of Jesus is really something all of us should do. So we're going to dive into that today. But before we do... One of the things we always do um, every Sunday is just, just to pause, to take a deep breath in, and just, just start by praying. And we just want to ask God to, to open your heart and your eyes. So let's ask God, God, speak to us. Speak to us today, Lord. We're listening to you. We're listening to what you have for us. And God, if it's possible, we, we, we ask that you allow us to see deep enough inside our hearts to see our desperate need for you and then connect that to the desperate need of the world around us. And God, may we, may we understand what you want us to do. May we understand the role you want us to play when it comes to meeting the need of the people around us. God, that's our prayer today. Would you give us that today? And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you know, we've been going through this series, Chasing Perfection. We've, we've been through Matthew chapter 5, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is really a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins to, um, to address something that's going on in the religious... So he's talking to religious people at this moment. And he really calls out three very common, very necessary religious practices. Almsgiving is one of those, which is giving to the needy, uh, prayer, and then fasting. So he highlights all of these, and he'll go on the whole chapter. We're just going to talk about the first one of those, giving to the needy. But basically, it's Jesus' way of saying, like I, like I see what you're doing, and the way you're doing it um, is not the way it's supposed to be done. And so in, in Matthew chapter 6, he starts by saying the words, um, be careful. And what he had was a group of religious people who were really showing off more than they were um, trying to... to deepen their relationship with God. And so, um, so Jesus says, be careful. That's, those are the first words that I should have made those yellow because every time I, I see those words, when Jesus says, be careful, I think it's probably a good idea to, to be careful. So, um, so I read this carefully, not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored by others, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We'll talk about that uh, in a minute. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what you or see what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, there's a lot to uncover in there. I'm going to boil it down into three things I think that God is teaching us, that Jesus wants us to see and understand today as he was um, sharing this uh, really important truth. Uh, the first one is, is that generosity is more than just money. 
Generosity is more than just money. Um, you know, and I have to go uh, outside of this passage to another um, to another place in, in Acts chapter three, and this is an action of the disciples, but it carries a lot of weight because they, they learned it from from Jesus. So, consider the story in Acts chapter three. There was a story. Scripture tells us in Acts chapter three there was a lame man that was um, he couldn't walk, hadn't been on a walk since birth. And so every day he would be outside the temple courts in Jerusalem and imagine the thousands of people that would go by him every day. And he sat there, unable to walk. So day after day he sat there begging for help. Everyone would walk by, yet no one really ever saw him. So rather this person was, was edited out of their minds, they would maybe, maybe make brief eye contact and keep moving. Um, I don't know if this fits with anybody else, but maybe you drive by a homeless person on the street corner. And, he, I mean, I, and I do this, I just, maybe I don't want to make eye contact. Um, similar story here where people just go by, go by, go by, and no one seems to stop. Then Peter and John um, came to the temple that day and we're told in Scripture that Peter, for whatever reason that day, as people begin to walk by, and I believe it's because he, he saw Jesus model this in his life, but he actually directed his, Scripture says, the words he used, he directed his gaze at the beggar. He made eye contact. And not only that, he didn't stop there. He made eye contact, and then he asked the beggar, look, look back at me. And in Acts chapter 3, he, you know, maybe for the first time, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone who had been overlooked for so long, no one would stop to care. Maybe when, when someone finally stops to care, the feeling that he must have had. But then, I'm not sure what he was expecting in return. But Peter says, um, in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. Said so Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So I don't have any money. But actually, that's not what you need. What I have to you is more than money. It's Jesus. And so in that moment, this man was healed and began to walk. Now I believe, in fact, that Peter and John gave, gave more than... They gave what money could not provide. The first thing they gave him was their attention. They stopped and offered their attention. Now, you might think, and I'll, I'll just... Um, lay it out there so you don't think this because uh, you think maybe the guy who oversees global impact and, and local impact at our church, man, this person must care an awful lot about people that he probably helps everybody that he, that he comes in encounter with. And that is, that's not true, unfortunately. I struggle with this first one, that it's even offering attention sometimes. Let me give you a, a more specific example. This week, um, you know, we have often people will call in the church um, that will need help. And I was busy actually putting together this message on Tuesday morning, um, going through these notes, literally going through Acts chapter 3 as, as I was, um, um, happened to check my email and got an email from one of the, one of the ladies in our church who, um, you know, when there's a message that comes in on the voicemail, she'll get it and she'll get it out to, to people to help. And it was a really frantic but very precise, very very short and brief message. It basically said, I, I need help. Will someone call me? And I listened to it, and then I looked at the email thread of the other, some of the other pastors that were on the list, and I thought, well, maybe one of those other pastors might you know, jump in. If I wait long enough, if I wait a few minutes, they might jump in and say, I've got this one. And then I looked at Acts chapter 3 and thought, okay, yeah, like I, 
this is probably more important than anything else I'm doing. And so I, I paused what I was doing, made a phone call. And again, these situations are not, um, it's not a 10-minute phone call. Um, for me, I, you know, I was able to pray for the lady. It was, it was a really rough situation. I was able to connect her to the benevolence process to get started. I don't know where that's going to end. It's, it's, it, it's always messy. But I know this. I know it starts with just even giving someone attention. It starts with me even putting down the busyness, because there are lots of reasons, and we all have them. Listen, we all have reasons. We all have, uh, whether it's busyness, whether it's time, whether it's I don't feel adequate enough, whether I don't have the resources, I don't have the answers. Uh, I could make a long list of reasons why I wouldn't uh, just immediately reach out to help somebody. But what Peter and John demonstrated from the actions of Jesus is they offer the man their attention. Secondly, they, they affirm the man's existence and value. Now listen, every person in the world is created in the image of God. Like we are, we are created in the image of God. And man, if, if last year was ever a year to, to create a division, to, um, you know, to hide behind our own opinions, our own agendas, and like that, there's this world that now one side against the other, and there's lots of extremes and uh, lots of heated debates, we have, lost, um, we have lost the idea of understanding of what this means, that we are all created in the image of God. We don't have to get along, but we are all created in the image of God, which means we have, a, we have an existence and value that comes from God. They affirm this. They say, okay, here's a guy. Everyone else is overlooking him. Um, we affirm that this man is valuable to God. And then number three is they acknowledge that Jesus is the only hope. They say, we don't have money to help you, and actually money will not help you. But we have Jesus. We're connected to Jesus, and Jesus can help, and Jesus wants to help you. So they connected and acknowledged that Jesus is the only hope. I was in Haiti on a mission trip several years ago, and I was um, at an orphanage. We stopped by this orphanage. I think um, right after we actually um, just got off the plane, got on a bus, stopped by this orphanage on the way to where we were staying and, and serving. And so um, I got off the bus, and immediately I met by this five- or six-year-old kid, which is pretty typical. And he grabbed my leg, and, you know, he's, he's hugging me and, and grabbed my hand and, um, you know, all this stuff. And so I, I kind of start to walk off the bus. And pretty soon he says the only English phrase that I think he actually understood, and the phrase was, no money. I got no money. And he'd, show out his, he'd pull out his pocket, you know, and, and, and show me the... Like, like there's, no, there's no money in here. Like, no, no money. And he would point, and he would say that repeatedly. And finally, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. And I was pulling out my pocket. No, no money either. I don't no money. Um, I got two kids. No money. Two kids at home. And, uh, and so pretty soon, like a, a 13 or 14-year-old uh, Haitian came to the rescue who knew some, knew some more English. And he began to have some dialogue. And I was talking about my kids. I you know, kind of shared that. And I'm showing pictures of my kids on my phone. Another thing they don't see often in Haiti is blonde hair. So I had you know, two blonde hair boys, and my wife's got blonde hair, and so um, they're scrolling through. They love the pictures. They're, they're kind of mesmerized by blonde hair. And as they're scrolling through the pictures, they got to, uh, it happened to snow in Kansas City uh, shortly before the trip. So there's a picture of me and the boys out shoveling snow in our driveway. And I can see they paused on that picture, and I began to think, well, they don't, they don't know what snow looks like. So I began to explain what snow is and all of this stuff. And and. They seemed almost bored by that, so I guess maybe they understood snow. They weren't, they weren't fixated on the snow. They were pointing at the garage door on my house. Like, what is this? You know, finally, the way that, you know, this, this boy kind of was pointing at it and looking at it, and finally kind of, he didn't know how to ask what, 
what he was going to ask, but basically he asked, why do you have a, like, why is there a door that big on your, on your house? I said, well, that's, that's where we put cars, like we parked the cars in, it's a garage door. And he looked at me just kind of dumbfounded as if, like, you, you have a, a house for your cars? I said, well, yeah, you know, so I began to explain. So I'm like, I'm going through this in my mind, like, okay, I'd, you know, have these kids, show them the house, have car, like I have enough money to them that I have two cars that I can put into a house. And I began to think, well, okay, well, maybe I have some money that I could give. But then the reality also hit me at the same time, like money is not what that kid needs. Those kids are orphans. Those kids are in that place because they don't have moms and dads. That's, that's one of their issues. But most importantly, they don't need money, they need Jesus. Like they need to be connected to the hope that only comes from Jesus. And so Peter and John acknowledged this with this beggar. And I know that I'm convinced that they got the answer from Jesus. Like they, they had the answer to the quiz right in front of them for many years. And so they're just modeling what Jesus modeled for them on how to, to serve and love people around them. And, you know, because of that, you know, the, um, you see Jesus who gave his time, his attention, his love, his compassion. Um, he did all these things. He shared tables with sinners. He, um, he gave up his life for enemies. And now Peter and John, they didn't limit their understanding of generosity to money. They, they, they limited it to Jesus, and Jesus' power is, is unlimited. So, number two, generosity must come with the right motive. Generosity must come with the right motive. So again, back to the verse in Matthew 6, 3, it says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't know a whole lot about the human anatomy, but I do know this. Like my left hand and my right hand, my right hand, left hand, I said that so you could see it. So uh, like, like they're connected to my brain. So therefore, it's impossible for me to hold something in one hand Without like I can't hide them in my hand because it's connected to a brain that knows the difference, right? So Jesus is using, he's using hyper, hyperbole. He's using a, a statement that basically is an exaggerated statement to make a point. And here's the point. The point is it's all about motive, right? You have a brain that controls it, but if your motive is right, then it doesn't matter which, which hand it's in. It's all about pure motive. And Jesus was specifically addressing those that were giving out of guilt or that they were seeking power. They were seeking acknowledgement from people. They were, they were seeking a better status. They were, they were wanting people to look at them so they would, they would feel more religious because people were aware of their sacrifice. And Jesus said, that's, that's the wrong motive. Like That's, that's not the right motive um, of what I'm asking you to do. Maybe William Barclay says it um, this, this way. He says, the great paradox of Christian reward is this. The person who looks for reward and who calculates that it is due to him does not receive it. It's the person who on, whose only motive is love and who never thinks that he has deserved any reward does in fact receive it. The strange fact is that reward is at one and the same time a byproduct and the ultimate end of the Christian life. He's reinforcing what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, for those that are looking, that are doing something, a religious act to, to gain some kind of reward, yeah, they actually aren't going to get it. However, the ones who are doing the same religious act who have no, no motive for reward actually receive the biggest reward, but maybe not in this life. 
So it's all about motive. And what I also um, learned the hard way is we must be cautious to avoid doing the right thing the wrong way. That's what Jesus is saying. These are all, all these things, almsgiving. Yes, do it. Do it the right way. Prayer, you need to do it the right way. Fasting, do it the right way. But man, the wrong way can be disastrous. And I learned this the hard way in uh, a trip in Haiti. So this was, was a, I think, a, a year after the trip that I mentioned earlier. And there was a girl that was on this trip who, um, who every day when we go work out in the village, um, they would come and bring lunch to us, but they wouldn't bring enough food for it. And there were hundreds of kids out in these villages that would come up and watch us work, uh, help us work. When it came lunchtime, you had really two options. One, you could, you could eat your lunch while all these Haitians watch you eat, or you could skip your lunch. Um, many of us begin to, to choose the second one. Because it didn't matter. There was no, like you think, well, we just get in a room, but they were like, all the walls have holes in them, so the kids are like peeking in holes, you know, watching us, and they just they, they sit there and watch you eat, and it's, it's heartbreaking. So one of the girls on the trip um, devised a plan to go back the next year, and her plan was to pack, I mean, she had a, a massive suitcase um, and pack it, packed it full of granola bars. If you want to know what a completely full um, suitcase full of granola bars weighs approximately 62 and a half pounds because we put it on the scale at the airport and thought, oh no, it's over 50 pounds and we had to take um, you know, all the food or all the granola bars and kind of space it out because if you pay extra for that one bag, you're going to pay more than the actual granola bars are worth um, through the airlines to get it there. So we were moving stuff around. We also had soccer jerseys that she wanted to give out. And we, so we, we had all these bags full of stuff and um, this is pretty typical of our mission trips. We're always trying to take stuff and move stuff around and, and beat, beat the system of, of the weight um, so we get it down to 49.99999 pounds, and then off we go, ready to save the roll with a, back, or a um, suitcase full of granola bars. So I, I arrive um, in Guatemala, and I'm going over the ministry plan for the week with our, our ministry partners there, and we're talking about all the projects we're going to do and um, you know, devotions for the day, this, just kind of sitting our whole week. And I say, oh yeah, by the way, um, we have a bunch of granola bars, and we have a bunch of uh, soccer jerseys we want to give out uh, to the kids um, in the village, and they looked at me and said, "You you can't you can't give out granola bars in the village." And I asked the question like, well, "Why not?" You know, and they began to tell me like, "You know, you're going to cause a riot. Like, it, it's just like you just can't do it." I didn't want that girl to be crushed. Like I knew she had like she had a plan, and despite the best wisdom. I decided as a young leader that day that, you know what, we're going to give out these granola bars. Um, we'll figure out a way. So my way was to wait till the very last day, and we were going to leave anyway. So whatever mess we'd create, <laughs> we, were, we were going to be gone the next day. And so this next picture is about five minutes before all craziness broke out. Um, you were in this school, and there's a wall. You can see, you can't really... This wall goes all the way around the complex, and there were kids all the way. I mean, there, there were hundreds of kids in this complex waiting to get their granola bars and soccer jerseys. What you can't see is that word got out in the rest of the village. On the other side of that wall was the whole village, an angry mob waiting to get in and get, get theirs too. And so unknowingly, even though I was warned, we began to hand out all the 
granola bars and we're handing out stuff. And then, I mean, as we're handing it out, we can just, um, like I can peek around the fence and see, like as kids are running, they're getting tackled and their stuff's getting taken. I thought, man, and, and I couldn't really take a pic. Like we, like they had to, we, we basically passed everything out. We got in our cars and we got out of there. That was the, that was the wrong way. It was the right motive, the purest of heart. I, I, as a leader, I wanted, I didn't want to let down the girl on my trip, but that was the wrong way. Um, it was a disaster. Fortunately, no one really got hurt. Um, and just over a granola bar caused a mess. The right thing, you must do the right thing, avoid doing the right thing the wrong way. You know, our church uh, ministry team, so after... About a year or two after this, I read a book called When Helping Hurts. And this book really helped me gain some better perspective on what it really means to help alleviate poverty. And there are some, some practices of American churches, um, American people, that just don't, they don't, they don't help, uh, actually hurt. And so our team has been reading through this. Um, our benevolence team has been reading through this. And we're going to start, um, just in response to just what we're learning um, we're going to start a six-week small group starting um, next Sunday um, just to kind of talk through this. It's really a, it's a video-based curriculum that just kind of talks through what it means to really help. Um, you know, really, it comes down to motive. It comes down to motive and then attaching the right practice to the right motive. And so um, there'll be some information at the end that you can um, sign up to be a part of that. But then number three is I believe generosity opens the door for ministry opportunities. It opens the door for ministry opportunities, and hopefully these ministry opportunities lead to a chance for us to, um, to introduce people to Jesus. And in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, it says this. Paul says, Let us not be, become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So listen, we could think about all kinds of reasons why um, when opportunities present themselves that we, we don't take advantage, we don't, we don't allow God to work through us to help people who are totally disconnected from Jesus. At the end of the day, a lot of us, and Paul recognized it because he said, don't, don't become weary. Don't, don't become weary of doing those things. Keep doing them. Don't give up. Keep going. And I believe um, in Guatemala we found something that I think... Um, really comes from the heart of Jesus. And I think it's something that really applies not just to Guatemala, but to every, um, everything we do locally and really who we are as people. It starts with who we are as people, but it's this concept of total village transformation. Um, and I want to show you from the words of Jesus how we, how we do this or how we, um, what three areas we, um, that make up this total village transformation. The first one is the opportunity to meet physical needs. It's the opportunity to meet physical needs needs. You know, Jesus was very clear on, um, on one, his desire to meet physical needs and the consequences for those who, who don't live a life willing to meet people's physical needs. In Matthew chapter 25, he says this, he says, then the righteous, he's talking about um, end times here, he says, in the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or go and visit you? 
The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. I think Jesus is very interested in the ability to meet people's physical needs. Um, and we try to do this as best we can. Um, but more than that, I hope that uh, as a church, we become a church that understands the mission of our church is also the mission of what we are supposed to do personally, meaning find these opportunities and go do them uh, in whatever context you live in. So in Guatemala, um, this first picture in Guatemala, um, every time we go, we do food distributions. And this little bag of food that's on this girl's head, um, a family will eat on that for a month. And so I'm a math guy, so I go, you know, twice a, twice a year, and we do this two times. That means there's 10 more months out of the year that they're not getting food. And so a hesitation could be, I mean, I, you know, if I can't feed them the whole year, why even, why even try? But I have to go back to Galatians. It says, Don't, do not be weary of doing what is good. Like, and Jesus would have said, like, you take care of today. I'll figure out tomorrow. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Do what you can today. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot that else that I can do, so don't become weary. So I do my best to, when I see them walking away, I always think, okay, what are they going to do next month when I'm not here? And Jesus says, it's not about you. It's about me. Okay, the next picture our medical team, so, I mean, even to the lengths of, uh, you know, there are people in the village that we'll discover on home visits who need medical care but cannot get down to um, the medical clinic. This example was a blind lady who, you know, we, we saw her up in the, up in the uh, mountains and we came back down to the medical clinic and, and talked to our team of doctors and we said, well, there's a lady up here but she can't come down and they immediately said, well, get me a car. I'm going up, like, like I'll go up to them. Um, so we went back up to the top of this mountain to try to try to help. Now, there are some things, limitations we can't help with, but we are all about trying to do whatever we can physically um, to give them medical care when we go. Um, and then two more things that I think are really important that our church, uh, one you should be aware of and understand is, is one, the Journey Impact Center. Um, we mentioned this earlier today. Pastor Ryan talked about just the, the different things, the impact that's happened at our Impact Center over the last um, less than a year. But I believe it's more than just handing out food. Um, because again, every situation is messy. The 3,000 or however many people have come through there all have a story. They all have things going on in their lives. They all have a situation that's unique to them. And we're just trying our best to meet the physical needs. But most importantly, we hope they'll see Jesus. We hope that as they receive food, you say, what's different from the Journey Impact Center and just social services, we're hoping to give them Jesus. Like we're hoping that they will see and know that Jesus loves them by the physical need that's being met in their life. And then the last um, one is, is our benevolence process. So as a, in response to COVID, if you remember Pastor Christian, um, the first couple of messages he gave during the online only when we didn't know what was going to happen in the world, he literally looked in the camera and said, some of you are going to lose your jobs. We want you to know our church is here for you. And our team began developing a process, a sound benevolence process that will allow us to, to both help people as requests come in, but also steward the resources that God has given us as a church because you can, you can miss on both of those. And our team began to put together a really sound process in place and it's, it's helped some people 
But we also want our church to understand, you know, in, at the end of that verse I shared in Galatians, he says to the, it's important that for the family of believers, like we want to make sure our church knows that we have a benevolence process, that our church knows that when, if you find yourself in financial crisis, we have a process that we can come alongside and help you financially. And it's on our webpage. And it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to engage with early on. It might be embarrassing. We want you to know it's available. We want you to know that our church has a process to care and, and a team ready to help you or people you know um, if you ever find yourself in financial crisis because I believe Jesus was all about meeting physical needs. The second thing that comes with um, Total Village Transformation is the opportunity to impact the next generation spiritually. Now, we know this at our church because we have a fantastic kids' ministry. Um, we have fantastic leaders and, and people who serve weekly in that ministry. Um, and if you have a parent in there, you, you know how good it is, uh, whether it's kids' ministry, whether it's student ministry. Our church is all about the next generation. Jesus was all about the next generation. In fact, it was a teaching moment for the disciples in Matthew 19. For whatever reason, whether they were trying to protect Jesus, um, I don't know the whole story, but I know this. The disciples were, there were children trying to run to Jesus, and the disciples were trying to stop them from getting at Jesus. And Jesus in Matthew 19, 14 said, um, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus was all about uh, children. He's all about the next generation. And it's important to understand that because the church should be all about the next generation, whether it's your own kids, uh, teaching them um, the faith. But it's our responsibility as parents to do that before it's even the church's responsibility. But it's a responsibility as, as a community of faith to make sure we're investing in the next generation because if this next generation doesn't get it, the generation after them won't get it. And the generation after them won't get it. Like it's important. It's important to, to go back through and understand that that's how faith continues um, to grow from generation to a generation. So we believe no matter what we do, whether it's here at the church, whether it's in Guatemala, we want to invest in children. So uh, in Guatemala, it looks like child sponsorship. So this is Paula. Paula is the girl that my family and I sponsor uh, in Guatemala. So child sponsorship allows, um, and it's lots of different programs, lots of different ministries across the world do child sponsorship. What it means for us is that um, this girl gets, um, she gets regular food, she gets regular medical care, she gets clothes. Um, but most, one of the most important things, she gets, uh, it, it ensures that she gets education. One, education in Guatemala is not a guarantee. One, it's a pretty rough system. But child sponsorship makes sure, the only way you can stay in child sponsorship is to stay in school. So it does not give parents the option to, to pull their kids out, make them go work. Um, they have to be in school in order to do that. But the thing we're trying to work um, and really had a plan to, and we'll, we'll keep working until we can get back into Guatemala, is alongside of our church to start doing more, um, more discipleship ministry with our kids. So they won't only just receive the physical needs, that they'll receive um, spiritual care and discipleship in the process. So we believe that... that um, Child sponsorship is, is vitally important. Um, at the end, you'll be able to go out if you have a desire to, um, to sponsor a child. Um, the team out there can help you figure out the tables how, how to do so. And then the last one is, is to provide vibrant spiritual communities through church planting. One of the things we discovered early on in our global ministry efforts at Journey 
is we were partnering with ministries that didn't necessarily have a strong church connection. And what we saw is, I mean, although they were meeting physical needs, they were maybe helping the next generation, they were sharing the gospel, um, they didn't have a great plan to keep people strong spiritually. So discipleship um, really had no chance to thrive without having some kind of a community. We're not talking church buildings, we're just talking a, a spiritual community. So again, looking at what Jesus said about, about churches, and he said this in Matthew 16. You know, in, in Matthew 16, he was walking through the region of Caesarea Philippi, a very, very dark place spiritually. And he began to ask the question to the disciples as he, as he was walking through. Um, you know, he pointed at, at those people and asked the disciples, who, like, who do those people say that I am? And Peter came up with some answers of, um, well, I think some of them think you're like Elijah, like you're you know, John the Baptist, or like you're a prophet. Um, and Peter probably didn't say this, but probably thought, like, like, Jesus, why are you asking me so many questions I don't know the answer to, because I can't possibly know like, what, what they're thinking. But anyway, he didn't, he didn't say that. But Jesus then turns to Peter and says, well, Peter, what, what do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter's response was, well, you're, you're the Messiah which means you're, you're the Savior, which means you're, you're the hope of the world. And then Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, meaning on the rock that Jesus is the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Listen, there are not a lot of things in Scripture that Jesus promises that if, if you'll... St- if you'll if you'll build a community around people who follow me, nothing will overcome it. And over 2,000 years later, churches are still being planted. Churches are still growing. And we want to be a part of, of continuing to plant church communities so that spiritual impact can continue to grow across the world. This next picture is, is a, so like there's a bunch of people in Guatemala who don't necessarily need a building, but there's a building we built um, over the last couple of years so they have a place to grow, a vibrant spiritual community. So we're praying. Right now, that's just a group of people. But we're praying for a, a vibrant church that will continue to grow and thrive for years to come in Guatemala. Two things as we, as we begin to wrap up. Two things the world has in common. One is that God loves us. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter. God loves you. Secondly, Jesus is our only hope. Again, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter what job you have, doesn't matter how popular you are. Jesus is our only hope. That's two things the world has in common. As I was traveling back from Colorado this last, oh, a few weeks ago, we were driving about six hours away from home, and you, you reach a point in a vacation where you're just, you're just ready to be home, right? Like you just, I'm just tired of driving, I'm tired of, Whatever, I just want to be home. And my father-in-law had, had uh, volunteered to watch our dog, kind of go in, not, not stay with our dog, but check, check in, let the dog out a couple times in the morning and evening. And so we're stopping to eat lunch, and we get a phone call, and I can hear, like, my wife is on the other side of the table, and I can hear through her phone the smoke detector going off in our house, the loud screech of, of every smoke detector we own in our house going off at the same time, the dog howling in the background, my father-in-law frantic trying to get it, um, get it to turn off. At first thought, oh, like, like that was morning, which means those have probably been going off all night long. And my poor dog is probably half death by now. 
so we figured out how to, okay, just you know, take the batteries out. We'll be, we'll be home soon. Just, just get it to turn off. We'll be home soon. And then we leave that restaurant like five minutes later, and we go to open the van door. It's 10 below outside. We go to shut the van door, and it's frozen. It wouldn't shut. And my wife's out there trying to figure out a way to pour hot water on it. I'm like, no, no don't. No, you're going to make it worse by pouring water on it. And for five minutes, I'm out there trying to, trying to get this door to shut. And finally, my hands were frozen. Finally got the shut. I said, like, don't open that door anymore the rest of the trip. That door stays shut. We get in the car, and we start going. And for like 10 minutes, I felt like Chevy Chase on a vacation movie, trying to, just trying to get home. And off we go. And it begins to snow. And as it begins to snow, we have to slow down. And before long, you start to see a few cars off the road. And then about an hour into that, we saw a pretty rough accident. I, I don't know if anyone was hurt, how badly someone might have been hurt. But there were all kinds of cars that had parked along the side, and we, um, we just kind of kept moving. But I thought about just life in that moment. There's a lot of trouble in life, isn't there? There's always something. One day it's your... It's your uh, fire alarms going off. One day it's your van door not shutting. One day it's a bad accident. And those aren't the same thing. But there's always trouble. And there always will be trouble. One day at a time. Here's what Jesus said about trouble. Here's the good news about that. Jesus said in, in John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble take heart because I have overcome the world you know what it means to live on mission it's to recognize that Jesus is our only hope that there is always trouble in our world and there's always someone who needs Jesus and God wants to use us to help connect people to Jesus the hope that you have inside of you because of Jesus it's not just for you it's to share with the broken world around you so some closing thoughts, just a question, which I believe has three answers. How can I live on mission daily? Practice living gener- generously. Whatever that means for you. Practice living generously. Sometimes that is finances, sometimes it's not. It's your time, it's, it's resources, it's, um, it's attention. Most importantly, it's sharing who Jesus and what he's done for you. And then secondly, act when there's an opportunity to help someone in need. Maybe this week, maybe last week, you can think about, as we're talking through this message, like like me, you can think about a situation where you didn't act. Maybe this week you can. And then number three, engage in the opportunities that JCI has to make a difference. In your your bulletin, there's a card. It has several different ways that you can engage, Um, whether it's serving in our local um, Journey Impact Center, serving in our... our, um, just any capacity during during our weekly community outreach stuff. We will do trips again. At some point, we'll go overseas. Maybe maybe your um, next step is to join us on a trip. Maybe child sponsorship is something that you uh, feel led to do. There are lots of different ways. Maybe the, the When Helping Hurts small group. Lots of different ways that you can engage, really, to, so you can begin to find your next step. And really, most importantly, it'll help you discover how you can do this wherever you are. You can do ministry wherever you are. There will be people when you leave. There, there's a couple different uh, tables out there with just people you can talk to. Um, they love to talk to you about the opportunities that exist. But before we started this message, 
we ask ourselves a question. We, we pause to ask God to speak to us. So the question is, what did he say to you? What did he speak to you as you, um, as you listen to his truth today? What did he say to you? Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? You know, for many in this room, um, you may never have made that connection with Jesus. Maybe today as you hear the story of, of who Jesus is, maybe you walked in today with just more trouble than you can bear. And for the first time you heard that Jesus is truly the answer. He knows you, he loves you, he sees your life. He's not looking at your actions that make you good enough for him. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your motive. He's looking to see if you have a desire for a relationship with him. It's God's love for you and for anyone in this world. We have that in common. It's his life, his death, his resurrection. It's your faith in those realities and a surrender, a wholehearted surrender to him that allows you to have a right relationship with God. Maybe today you walked in and said, I don't have that, but I'd like to. I'd like to have that in my life. You can begin that by saying a prayer in your heart, quietly, wherever you're you're seated. Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal me. Lead me. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. And I ask for your salvation. And maybe you're here today, uh, and you you said that prayer, you, you... for the first time meant that. Today as you leave, we'll give you an opportunity to um, to let us know, to, to figure out what those next steps might be in your journey with Him. And I want to speak um, to Christians. I want to pray with Christians right now in this room. But, um, maybe one of the questions, well, who, who's God placed in your life that He's calling you to help? What opportunities this last week were available and maybe you didn't act on it. Maybe this week, would you, uh, for whatever reason, we, we can get caught up in busyness, we can become weary. But God's called us to, to share his truth, to share his love. Maybe as a parent, you uh, understand the need and responsibility to lead your own kids. Like the next generation starts with your kids and your family. It starts with the next generation of you what can you do to maybe lead differently starting with your own kids the good news is this is a new week whatever happened last week it's last week there's never a better time to start new and it starts this week will you act will you, when you're given an opportunity will you respond whenever God lays something on your heart will you move forward when it comes to living generously and living on mission for God God that's my prayer today for our church God, my prayer for Journey Church is that we'd be a church of people who are on mission, living for you, who, who God, are constantly looking to see how you have called us to live, that we're striving for the perfection that you have shown us, that, God, you'd help us to lead people, you help us to recognize where they are when they're hurting, to meet physical needs, to meet the, the spiritual needs. God, most importantly, share the hope that only comes from Jesus. So God, that's our prayer today. Use us in a mighty way to reach our community and our world. God, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name.